0: Let's well, take our Bibles this, um, at this time and turn with me to Acts chapter number 4. Acts chapter number 4, uh, last week's message, I mentioned that uh, the scene here is, uh, should uh, get our attention because this is the first ever recorded persecution of the church, and we learn some uh, valuable truths that help us, give us an understanding as to the condition of the world. And uh, I want to begin reading again in verse number 1 and work our way down to verse number 12. And we'll go on to study a few more verses this uh, morning. Notice Acts 4 verse 1, the Bible says, And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about five thousand. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes, and Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had had set them in the midst, they asked, "By what power, or by what name, have ye done this?" Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, "Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done by the impotent man, or to the impotent man by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all." And to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I want to preach this morning on the words we find in verse number 12. When Peter says in boldness, there is none other name. I want to preach on that. None other name. Now as we think about last week, it is important to review the first part of the chapter because we uh, talked about last week the ancient condition of unbelief. And we made the point that as we look at our world today, we live in the 21st century and you often hear people say something like this, ah, you Christians, you still believe the Bible, you still believe that God created the world, that one day you will be resurrected, you believe in the resurrection, you believe in salvation by grace through faith, you believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Having you caught up with the times, this is the modern era, Uh, people don't believe in that anymore. And they would seem to indicate that the reason why they don't believe in that is because we are modern, we are contemporary, and those things should just be dismissed. And the truth is, their position today is as ancient as the gospel is. That their unbelief is as old as the gospel. And the truth is, whatever the world may say today is not modern at all. One commentator says, there is nothing new about unbelief. It is as old as the preaching of the gospel. People today who are not Christian think that they are not Christian because they are modern. Because they live in the 21st century century. Is uh, is that not how they put it? What? They say, you still believe that? You mean to say that in these enlightened times you are a Christian and go to church? It is quite ridiculous to think that the hallmark of modernity is the rejection of the gospel. Unbelief is as old as the gospel itself. So if you are not a Christian, do not claim that you're being modern. You are ancient. Very ancient indeed. And as we look at our text, we find that nothing has changed in the 21st century. A miracle happened in Acts chapter 3. A man who was lame from his birth uh, was uh, raised now to walk. He's leaping. He's praising God in the temple. A crowd has come now, and uh, as Peter and John are teaching and they're preaching, what the problem with these religious rulers, the problem that they had was this, was not the miracle. The problem that they had was the teaching and the preaching of Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Because we find later in the chapter, as we'll study perhaps next week, we find that the only thing that they ask Peter and John to stop doing is this, stop teaching and preaching in His name. They don't ask them to stop the miracles. Uh, they don't ask him to... Uh, to um, to do anything else, the one thing that they have against them is that they are teaching and they are preaching Jesus Christ. And we find the conduct of unbelief. And we see that they opposed the message. They ostracized the messengers and they overlooked the miracle. And we see that that is what brought all these people together. We looked at the scene. There's the priest. There's the captain of the temple. There's the Sadducees. There's the scribes. There's the high priest. There's John and Alexander who were to wealthy Jews during that time. And we see also that there were as many, uh, as many as were the kindred of the high priest. You see this scene gathered around who throughout history had always opposed themselves. They had always hated each other. But now they all come together. And what do they have in common? Unbelief. The Sadducees and the Pharisees who always stood at the opposite side now joined forces together to stop what? To stop the preaching and the teaching of Jesus Christ. And we find that the cause of unbelief is rooted in the fact in verse 2 they were grieved that they taught the people. It frustrated them that here were two ignorant and unlearned men who were teaching the people about what? About Jesus Christ. How he could save from their sin. And now we see the reply as they asked the question in verse number seven. And when they had set them in the midst. So you see this great scene with all those people gathered together. And not only that, but that really resembles the world because these were people of authority, people of power, people of wealth. And all of their kindred, all of their family members had the opportunity to benefit from their power, their authority, and their wealth. And they're all standing around in this big circle. And here is Peter and John in the midst. Standing in the midst of this great crowd, which I believe represents the world still today. And they ask this question. By what power or by what name have ye done this? And Peter is going to give a reply and he begins the reply in verse number eight then Peter here it is filled with the Holy Ghost said unto them and notice how he addresses them ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom ye crucified whom God raised from the dead even by him doth this man stand here before you whole now we see a picture in chapter number 3 of the man who was lame from birth who was raised And this man's healing happened by the power of Jesus Christ. But what Peter is going to do here, as he replies to this question, by what power have you done this? He is going to connect the power of Jesus Christ, who raised this man who was lame, to what? To salvation. And he basically is going to say that there was no other power that could raise this man who was lame from birth, but the name of Jesus Christ and so it is true of salvation as well. In verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I'm going to look at two simple truths this morning, and I'll give them to you, and then I'll expound on those. First of all, I want us to consider the obstinate builders. And number two, The only Savior. The first uh, people we look at is the obstinate builders as we continue to build and we look at this crowd that is gathered around that really is not interested in the miracle. What they're really interested in is stopping the teaching and the preaching about the person of Jesus Christ. And they all stand there, grouped together in their unbelief, and Peter, as he confronts them, he answers to them very plainly that what they did, they did by the power of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom they had crucified, who God raised from the dead, That is how, by this name and this power, this man is made whole. But then he turns. Now notice here, they're common, if you would, they're in a trial as they're standing in front of this crowd. And the world looks at Peter and John and has been criticizing them and is wanting them to stop to preach and to teach in the name of Jesus Christ. And now Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, is going to turn around and he's going to put them on trial. We find that in verse number 11. This is the stone, now he's referring to Christ here, which was set at naught of you builders. Now who's the you? The crowd that was accusing Peter and John, which has become the head of the corner. I want to preach a little while this morning, first of all, on the obstinate builders. We see that Peter here, he quotes back from the book of Psalm, which is Psalm 118, verse 22 and he says the stone which the builders refused is become the head of the corner and so uh, the apostle Peter here refers back to this quote in Psalm 118 and what is Peter here talking about as he speaks of these people he looks at them and he says you builders I think that's most interesting expression Uh, What is he talking about? What is that picture? Uh, What are we to learn here from what Peter is saying as he looks at these people who are typically all hated each other, but now they're all coming together to join forces in their unbelief against Jesus Christ. Again, this is the first persecution of the church, and I believe we can learn some things from this first persecution. I want us to consider, first of all, as we think about the obstinate builders, we see the people as the builders. He looks at these people, and he puts them on trial, and he says, you builders, who is Peter addressing? Who are these builders? Well, verse number eight, notice, then Peter filled with the Holy Ghost, notice who he addresses. He said unto them, here it is, ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. Uh, There's two things that we see here. There is the political scene, as in the rulers of Israel, and also the religious scene as the elders of the people. And as we've already examined the amount of people that are there, he refers to this group of rulers and elders. He refers to them as uh, builders. Now we remember in verse 5 and 6, we see here uh, the people that are gathered as their rulers, the elders, the scribes, the high priest, Caiaphas, John and Alexander, we determined these were two wealthy Jews, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest, so that's the scene. Basically, the people who we would look at society today, who is, um, in man's estimation, those who are in charge, the smart people, the people of knowledge, the people of intellect, The people with great charisma and personality. These are the people that are there. These are the people who are rulers. The people in authority. And he refers to them as builders. And it is clear in our text that the builders here are those who have gathered together to silence Peter and John. These builders are those who stood as the rulers of the people. They were, as I said, men of authority. They were men of power. Men of wealth. Men of ability, men of great intellectual acuity. We would say that's the group that's there. And these men did indeed, by the way, regard themselves as builders. If you think about their mindset concerning society, uh, they thought that all of society rested on them. And so if you walked around and you say, hey, uh, what what do you do, uh, you ruler? Well, we are the builders. We are the builders of society. We help society function. Uh, We tell society what the standard is, and society seeks to abide by that. And so these are the people as the builders. Let me say this. Nothing has changed. There is still a group of people in the world who think themselves and regard themselves as builders and who truly think to themselves that all of society rests on them. And so they do regard themselves as builders. So we see the people as the builders, but we also see the prosecution of the builders. So Peter, as he stands, he is going to prosecute them as they are trying to prosecute him. He's going to turn the table and say in verse number 11, this is the stone, as he would just refer to Christ, Which was set at naught of you builders. As Peter is standing in the midst of the council, he is going to turn the tables on them. They were prosecuting Peter and John, but Peter turns the table and now he prosecutes them for what they had done and for what they were still doing. What had they done? Well, remember, they had here he says uh, they had set at naught the stone the stone uh, is he says has become the head of the corner this is a reference to Jesus Christ by the way peter would often refer to Jesus Christ as the cornerstone if you go with me to 1 peter chapter 2 verse 6 and 7 Jesus Christ would be again referred by the apostle paul as the cornerstone or the head of the corner notice 1 peter chapter 2 verse 6 the bible says wherefore also it is contained in the scripture Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the same is made the head of the corner. Paul, by the way, also referred to Christ as the cornerstone in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. And we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And so the cornerstone here, or the stone, is referring to Jesus Christ, which stone has become the head of the corner. And I we come to that, and so we see here that they had set at naught this stone. Now what does it mean to set at naught? It means this, it means that you hold something as contemptible or that you despised, or you could say you rejected. You see, these builders had despised, these rulers of the people, these elders of the people of Israel, they had despised and they had rejected the stone, which is Jesus Christ. They had despised and rejected Him. And furthermore, they were still despising and rejecting Jesus Christ, as we will see later. Uh, They would go on to command them, not to teach and preach in the name of Jesus Christ. So they had a problem with His name. Now understand, here's the picture for us. There was a stone that was presented to them. A stone was offered to them in the person of Jesus Christ who comes as the answer to society. And here is the builders who think they are the answers to society. And here is the stone who has made the head of the corner. But what did they do? They set that stone at naught. They despised Jesus Christ. They held Jesus Christ as contemptible. They despised him. They rejected him. And they still reject him today. So we see the people of the, as the builders, the prosecution of the builders. But thirdly, we see the problem with the builders. What's their problem? Their problem is this. They have set it not the stone. Now, it is certainly true that we say that the problem is sin. Yes, these were uh, sinful men, and we could say the problem is sin. However, we know that sinners were converted to Christ. Indeed, Christ did not have any problems spending time with sinners. Uh, he, would, he was criticized for it, but He Himself says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Aren't you glad of that? Because at last I checked, we're all sinners. We're all in the same boat, and we are saved by the grace of God. But what is the problem with the world? what is the problem with these rulers of the people? Or we could say, what is the problem with these builders? The great problem with these men is that they saw themselves as builders. You see, they had looked at Christ and they had despised Him and now they were looking at these two men, Peter and John, and they were despising them. Why? Because they thought that they had it right. You see, these people should listen to them, not Peter and John. We are people of authority. We are people in high position. And you, Peter and John, you're just fishermen. You have no authority to speak. And people ought not to listen to you. You see, Christ was not the answer for the world. They had the answer for the world. They were the builders. They rejected Christ and the gospel. Why? Because they had their own remedies. These builders saw themselves as experts. Therefore, when they saw Christ, they, uh, they, uh, rejected him. Uh, they rejected the stone. You remember in John chapter 7 verse 14, the Bible says, Now about the midst of the feast of the, uh, uh, in about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled saying, What? How knoweth this man letters having never learned? Oh, listen to this man. He doesn't have the answer. We are the builders. In Mark chapter 11, verse 27, And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, they came unto him, uh, the chief priest, and the scribes and the elders, and they say unto him, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? Boy, the world hasn't changed. The people who still think themselves as the builders of the world are still saying to the common people, Who do you think you are? You need me to teach you. You need me to give you the remedy. You don't have the answer. Jesus Christ is not the answer. We live in the 21st century, and those old Bible truths have to be dismissed. We are the builders. We have the answers. Nothing has changed. It was that way in the beginning. They despised and rejected the greatest teacher who ever lived. Now they were looking upon Peter and John and their boldness. Remember what they say, verse 13 of Acts 4? They perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They couldn't stand that. Why? Because they had the position of authority. They were the rulers, they were the builders. You see, in their pride, they said, We are the builders. You know, the Apostle Paul, as he wrote to the church at Corinth, if you go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, he uh, exposes the trouble with the world and those who, whether they were religious Jews or whether they were Gentiles, he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, notice in verse number 4, Paul says, 1 Corinthians two four And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. Howbeit, verse 6, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect yet not the wisdom of this world nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. Now you see, the builders had set at naught the stone. And the truth is, the princes of the world and the wisdom of the world comes to naught. In other words, what must be despised today in the 21st century is not the stone, it's not Jesus Christ. It's those who think themselves to be builders. Those who think that they have the wisdom. Those who think who, uh, by whom the world is ruled, they come to naught. Verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the, world, uh, before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of the world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Why did they crucify Him? Because they thought they had the wisdom. They thought they had the rule. They saw themselves and said, We are the builders. We don't need Jesus Christ We don't need what He has to offer. We don't need His disciples to preach unto us and teach Jesus Christ. It's foolishness. The world is still in the same place. We see the people as the builders, the prosecution of the builders, the problem with the builders, but fourthly, we see the performance of the builders. And here is, uh, it all brings us to this one question. I want to ask this here. What do the builders do? They build, do they not? Builders in general... Build. I went to masonry school for a year in France, and I learned how to lay cinder block, brick, how to pour a concrete slab. And when we are building, you always look at the end product. I remember my teacher would come around in the big shop we had, and he would uh, often, when we would uh, build a wall with cinder block or brick or whatever it was, he would uh, come with his old plumb line. And he would place it against the wall, and here the plumb line would rest, and he would see if the wall was level. He was testing, he was uh, examining the wall, seeing whether it was built properly, and uh, the truth is, it did not matter what I said about the wall, or what I thought about the wall, the teacher would examine the final product and make a judgment. Well, in our world, we have had a great opportunity to take a look at the product uh, that has been claimed by the builders. If we just consider the time of Christ, when Jesus Christ was first rejected, when the first people claimed themselves to be the builders of society, I say to us, and now we are in the 21st century, uh, we have had time to examine the building of those builders. The builders have said, listen to us, there will be no more wars if you listen to us. There will be no more child left behind if you listen to us. We can create a utopian society if you just listen to us. We can solve all the problems of man if you just listen to us. We can build a more inclusive society if you listen to us. We can help you rise to financial stability if you just listen to us. We will live in a world with no more hatred if you just listen to us. We can solve all of the addictions of the, of men if you just implement these programs, this program over here and that program over there. And here we are in the 21st centuries and war are, wars are still raging. Addictions are still on the rise. Suicides are commonplace. Children are doing worse and worse in schools, despite what the government may say. Poverty still abounds. Morality is on a constant decline. And as we look at around us, and we examine uh, the building that the builder said they are building, there is no building. Since the, the, the beginning of the preaching of the gospel message, There's always been builders who've been around claiming to have the answers, dismissing Jesus Christ as the Son of God, dismissing Jesus Christ as the answer to the ills of society, to all the answers of the ills of society. And they said, listen to us. We are the builders. We will build you a more perfect union. We will help build a society that is better for you. And look where it's gotten us. There is no building. And so we say, well, What do we do with those builders? You see, the world is crumbling while the politicians and the rulers and the philosophers and the intellectuals talk and they 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 talk and and there is no building! They haven't solved any problem. They've just made things worse. Why? Because they've rejected Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writes to the church, and he says in verse number 18, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seem to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. You see, Jesus Christ came unto His own, and His own received Him not. They had the Son of God who was sent to save the world and to redeem man, and they put him to death and rejected him, despised him. And the world at large is still trying to put him to death today. Let's rid ourselves of Jesus Christ. If we could just rid ourselves of religion, of these people who believe the Bible and those strange things such as redemption and forgiveness of sin and that Jesus was the Son of God and that one day they'll be raised from the dead and the fact that their Lord is coming again and they mock all those things and they dismiss those things while they talk and they talk and they talk and we sit here on the sign and we look at society, we look at the world and we say to those who talk, where is your building? Where is your answer? Where, what, have you solved the ills of society? No, you have not. But yet you have always claimed, since the beginning that the gospel was preached, they have always claimed themselves to be builders. And there's never be, been any evidence of anything that they've built that's been worthwhile. What did they despise? They despise the stone. The stone is, he says, he's become the head of the corner. That's the key part. When you build in masonry, you always start with the corners. You don't start with the middle of the wall. You see, society has said, has wanted to have the great buildings, has wanted to have the beautiful buildings, let's have a great society. But every time they build something, it crumbles. Why? Because there is no head on the corner. Jesus Christ is not present, and it doesn't matter how many programs the world builds, it doesn't matter how many uh, addiction programs they build, how many programs they have for uh, families who are going through difficulties, how many uh, 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 funds they raise for the poor, they will never build a building because they don't have the stone that is the head of the corner. If the politicians and the rulers of the day could come to the church and say, you know what, you have the answer to society, we're going to place you into every home and have you preach the gospel to every single person that is alive in the United States of America, I'll tell you, this society will be a whole lot better place. Why? Because the stone would become the head of the corner. Jesus is the answer to society. So, we see here, by the way, nothing's changed. Do you see that? That is the first persecution of the the church in the Bible recorded. And nothing's changed. So we see the opposite of the builders. But then Peter turns around, and we see the only Savior. Notice what he says. If you go back with me to Acts four, he says, "You have said it not." Notice verse 11, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. One of the most wonderful verses in the Bible. Uh, Peter, he basically says, look, and in a sense he says, look at your building. How is it going for you? You remember what they wanted? You remember what they wanted the building to be? They wanted to set Jesus Christ as King. They wanted to rule. They wanted Him to rid themselves of the Roman government. They wanted a better society. But then when they realized that Jesus Christ came to die for their sins, they didn't want Him anymore. They wanted a building. But they wanted the building without God. They want the answer. But they want the answer Without God. And Peter says, He is the only Savior. I like the wording of this verse because it it gives us three things. He says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I want you to notice three things about the only Savior. First of all, we see the excellency of salvation. What is the excellency of salvation? It says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under, given, uh, under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Who are we talking about? Well, he said in verse number 10, Jesus Christ. That, that's the name that we're talking about. The name of Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus, Jehovah saves, Jehovah is salvation, Emmanuel. When Jesus Christ came, He says, You shall call His name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And so as we think about the name of Jesus Christ, understand what we're declaring to the world. We're declaring the excellency of salvation. Do you know how many programs, how many books have been written, how many how many curriculums have have gone and have been written and have gone now? It seems that every time there's a new program, every 20 years you turn over the curriculum and it seems that oh, all that, that didn't work, although oh, that, that didn't work and this book didn't work over here and this program didn't work over here and so we got to refine it, we got to make it better. And in the process they are always making it worse. And the truth is they ignore the excellency of salvation which is found in a person. It's not found in any programs. There is no amount of programs that will reform a society. Only the person of Jesus Christ. That is the excellency of salvation, because salvation is found in the person of Jesus Christ. He came so that He might die for the sins of the world. He bled and died on the cross of Calvary uh, to take away the sin of the world. Colossians chapter 2 says uh, that uh, He blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, nailing it to His cross, and He took it out of the way. Jesus Christ died for our sins, and that is the excellency of salvation. As he says, neither is there salvation in any other, but we also see the exclusiveness of salvation. And I believe that is the great trouble with the world. Now, uh, you can say that Jesus was a good person, but don't say he was God. Now, you can say that Jesus Christ was a great philosopher, but don't say he was the only teacher. Uh, you can say that Jesus Christ, you know uh, he, he died uh, as a as a martyr, he died as a one who had uh, greater ideas than himself, but you say that he died to take away our sins, and they go wild. Uh, that's fine. you can believe that Jesus lived, but do you have to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Paul writes to Timothy and he says very clearly. There is one God. Only one God. The God of the Muslims is not a true God. All the gods of the Hindus are not true gods. Uh, whatever God is made that is outside of the Bible is not a true God. There is one God. But also there is one mediator between God and man. And that is the exclusiveness of salvation. There is no other way to be saved. That's why Jesus Himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. He that drinketh of the water that I give him shall never thirst again. And that is the exclusiveness of salvation. There is salvation is found in no other name. Twice, as Peter stands in this crowd, he says, uh, notice the first time, neither is there salvation in any other. Now, remember who he's talking to. He's talking to those who thought they were builders. Uh, They thought salvation. The answer was in them. They saw themselves as builders. And he looks at them and he says, there is salvation in none other. No other man can... Produce salvation. And then he says again, there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other name. And I tell you, that is why the world joins together, even the religious world with the political world, with the intellectual, all join together because of that claim. The exclusiveness of salvation is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And anybody that dies outside of Jesus Christ is going to spend an eternity in hell judged for their sins. Salvation is exclusively of Jesus Christ. We see the excellency of salvation, the exclusiveness of salvation, but we also see the exclamation of salvation. He says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, and here it is, whereby we must be saved. It's a must. That's that's the exclamation of salvation. Uh, that is the message we preach from this pulpit. That is the message we preach from this church. Is that you must, as Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. There is no other way to go to heaven. There, there is no other way to salvation but that understanding that in our sinfulness in our sinful condition we are the enemies of God because of our sin all uh, have sinned and all come short of the glory of God there is none righteous no not one all have fallen out of the way all have uh, have decided to rebel against God and against uh, his authority and his law and because of that the wages of sin is death man deserves to spend an eternity in hell separated from God forever because of his sin because he is the enemy of God because he loves his sin more than he loves God but the good news is that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord we were the enemies of God in our sin but God in his love he sent his son Jesus Christ to pay for our sin debt he was our substitute God hath made him that Jesus Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him and so here as the enemy Enemies of God, Jesus Christ gave his life for us, and now through his death, he reconciles us to God. God commendeth his love towards us, and then while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hebrews 2 9, uh, we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. And so we say, how is a man justified? A man is justified by faith. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we see in that verse the excellency of salvation, the exclusiveness of salvation, and the exclamation of salvation. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith. What's grace? Grace is God giving us that which we do not deserve. What, is, what do we not deserve? We don't deserve eternal life. We don't deserve the imputed righteousness of God on our account. We don't deserve that. And so in His grace, God sent His Son to be our substitute, to take our sin debt, to become sin for us, because we would go to hell if we paid for our own sins. But He died in our stead. And as He died in our stead, we understand that He gives us eternal life in the person of Jesus Christ. And how do we get eternal life? By faith. By grace are you saved through faith. Grace is God giving man unmerited favor, eternal life, imputed righteousness. And faith is man believing and receiving that wonderful gift of God. And then he says, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's the, not only the excellency of salvation, it is excellent, is it not? <laughs> That we cannot save ourselves, but God loves us so that He sent His Son to be our substitute so that we could have eternal life and be with Him. But we also see the exclusiveness of salvation. It's not of works that any men should boast. And therein lies the great condemnation to the world. You see, even the world here, you think about even the religious people or the rulers of our day all claim some form of religion, all claim some form of belief in God, but you know what they're trying to do? They're trying to find the answers of society outside of the Bible and outside of God. They all claim to go to church, they all claim to be some good Catholic, some good Mormon, whatever they claim, but what they're trying to do is they're trying to reform a society without God. That is not the answer. It will never be the answer. It's never been the answer. And it's never worked. And so the exclusiveness of salvation is not of works. There's no amount of builders out in society that say, let's do it this way. It is not the answer. It is not of works, of righteousness, which we have done. But according to His grace, He saved us. And the exclamation of salvation is you must be saved. If you're not saved... Would you trust Him today? If you have fallen under the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God and you see yourself as a sinner deserving of hell, all you need to do is turn your faith in Jesus Christ. Stop trusting in yourself and trust in Jesus Christ. Place your faith in Him and He will save you. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the exclamation of salvation. And so I say to us, I say, well, what do we do now? What do we do? That's the first persecution of the church. Do you see it? Nothing's changed. You know what? Let's wait till society gets a little easier, and then we'll proclaim that message. No. It has never been easy. And furthermore, it will never be easy. But you don't understand, Pastor. We live in the 21st century and they ridicule us. They've always been ridiculed. They've always been rejected. They've always been despised. Well, you don't understand. They might regard me as some uh, some kooky person. They did the Lord. The God of heaven who was robed in flesh, they mocked Him. They despised Him. They ripped off His beard. They spat upon Him. They nailed him to a cross. They pierced his side. They mocked him as he was standing on the cross and said, save yourself. And if they only knew that in a moment his wrath could come down upon them, in a moment they would be blotted out. Their mouths would have been shut. But they despised him. Nothing has changed. And if we are concerned ourselves here, we're saying we are interested in 21st century Christianity. 1st century Christianity fell under persecution. And they looked at the world and says, the world does not have the answer. The answer is Jesus Christ. This message is excellent. It is exclusive. And it's time for us to proclaim it. If the church does not do that, it does not resemble the 1st century church. And so may the Lord help us to be a first century church. Would we pray together as a church that the Lord would help us? As we think about this truth, where is the answer going to come from? I'll tell you. There is none other but Jesus. No other answer. May the Lord help us to stand up for that.